First up, the political future of Northern Ireland has been thrown into uncertainty after the unexpected resignation of DUP leader Edwin Poots after just 21 days in office. What's the future of unionism now and are we looking at a possible general election in Northern Ireland? Well, I'm joined now by Mike Nesbitt, member of the Northern Ireland's Legislative Assembly for Strangford and former leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. Uh, good morning, Mike, and uh, thank you for joining me. Um, Mike, how do you assess the chances of the current Stormont executive surviving the leadership crisis in the DUP? Well, there's no reason why it shouldn't survive, Eamon, and it needs to survive because we are elected to serve the people of Northern Ireland and we are still in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, And the characteristics that people rightly look to uh, from Stormont are a government that's stable, that's cohesive and that's fleet of foot so that it can react to the various changes uh, in the environment, not least least these developing variants of of COVID-19. So if, if we put ourselves in a position where we recognise that there is a greater good above and beyond party political interests, then I think we put ourselves in the mind frame of problem solving and get on with solving these issues uh, and governing for the people of Northern Ireland. And, and it's not just the pandemic. My colleague Robin Swan, the health minister, has two bills, one on, uh, on adoption, one on organ donation, which are blocked in the executive, he needs to get those onto the floor of the assembly because these are life-improving pieces of legislation. In fact, they may even be life-saving in terms of organ donation. And yet the two main parties have prioritised other issues by the looks of it. You could say that Sinn Féin prioritised the Irish Language Act, while uh, the DUP are are um, prioritising the the Northern Ireland Protocol. They seem to be taking centre stage now. How do we return to those um, nitty-gritty issues, if you like, in Northern Ireland? Well, I I think the big issue is, is this. When you go into an election, you are, of course, rivals competing for votes. But when you come out the far side, and the votes have been cast and counted, you know that you're going into a coalition government with four or five parties uh, around that executive table at Stormont Castle. And at that point, you should realise that you must cease to be rivals and become partners in government. Uh, and the DUP and Sinn Féin have been in Stormont Castle, the equivalent of your government building, since 2007. And over those 14 years, I think it has become abundantly clear that they cannot work together. And and I do wonder why the electorate keep putting them back in there when there are alternatives to a DUP Sinn Féin-led government, which might actually deliver an alternative that delivers government. Um, Would that mean that you wouldn't be afraid of an election now if one was precipitated by the current crisis? We, 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 if, there's a, if there's to be an election, we will take an election. I think elections are by definition destabilising. And as I said in my opening remarks, one of the chief characteristics that we need at the moment is some stability. So we certainly aren't lobbying uh, for an election, but if one comes along, we will be ready to fight it. Uh, what are the consequences of failure if the executive does collapse? What are the consequences? Well, the consequence uh, in in the short term is that we go to direct rule from London. And and I would say to unionists, whose default position is always to look for betrayal and for treachery, uh, you have very good evidence that you were betrayed uh, by the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. So why on earth would you want to give him even more control over the political affairs and the political future of Northern Ireland? It's absolutely counterintuitive. So Uh, It's not easy uh, to go into a coalition government. Uh, We have Sinn Féin, who are very buoyant at the moment about their electoral support and the direction of travel 
they think we're going in terms of the Constitution. I happen to disagree. Uh, but that should not be an obstacle. It is simply a challenge. Uh, so let's not make an issue a crisis. Last night there was another protest against the protocol in Newton Ards uh, in County Down. And is that what we're faced with now for the summer? Street protests and, you know, the, the risk that that could lead to more trouble, if you like, on the streets as well? Well, the first thing I would say, Eamon, is, is that street protest, if it is done in a lawful and respectful way, is, is something that I, I, I have to say people are entitled to do. But I also have to say to unionists who were out on the streets of Newton Ards last night, what, what do you think you're going to achieve? Think back to 1985 and up to 200,000 people on the streets around Belfast City Hall uh, protesting against the Anglo-Irish Agreement. The Anglo-Irish Agreement didn't go away because of street protest. It went away because of long, patient negotiations 13 years later, uh, which led to the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Think of the, the protests over the flag coming down at Belfast City Hall a few years ago. Uh, there were violent street protests. There were peaceful street protests. The flag stayed down. And so do you think the protocol is here to stay? I, I think there, there, if, if it's going to go, let me put it this way, if it is going to go, it's going to be through a process of negotiation. And that negotiation has to be led by the British government and the European Union. I would like the Northern Ireland executive to have a bit more skin in the game this time. I think one of the problems was it was done so quickly, uh, 24th of December last and implemented almost immediately that nobody had thought through the consequences. And we're seeing some of the negative consequences now. So the first step, I think, is to address and to mitigate uh, the worst excesses, such as having to have your pet vaccinated for rabies if you're bringing it back from Great Britain into Northern Ireland, where rabies hasn't existed for something like a century. It seems extraordinary that the the constitutional uh, position of Northern Ireland has been wrapped up with these types of issues like that. You know, you give the example of the pet coming in from Britain. Um, we talk about the, you know, the chilled meats, etc. And I mean, I heard Jamie Bryson during the week talk about the constitutional issue and the, the, the protocol, if you like, reflects that. Is that. That seems extraordinary we've got to that position. Yes, but these things get into the psyche uh, of, of the unionists and the loyalist people of Northern Ireland, Eamon. And there are also practical things. I mean, what is at risk at the moment uh, is, is a batch, a, a number of drugs, uh, of medications that, that will be available to people in Great Britain, uh, available to people in the European Union, but may not be available to people in Northern Ireland. So it's actually not just about getting into the psyche of unionists, it's, it's getting into the actual physical health. Uh, of people. And I think that's an unintended consequence. I don't think the, the European Union set out to do this harm, but I don't think they're aware uh, fully of the harm that is being done. And I think once they are, uh, we can negotiate something better. Uh, what role do you think the British and Irish governments have to play now in terms of uh, stabilising the situation? Would you prefer a more hands-off approach or um, do the two governments need to really take control here or try and persuade the parties within the North uh, to reach agreement? Well, I think the most important thing is to reassure the loyalist and the unionist people that, that they're not, not out to betray them, that there is no hint of treachery. And, and as I say, you know, Boris Johnson has, has certainly given evidence of that. You played that clip of Leo Varadkar. I, I, you know, he's entitled to his view. Of course he is. He's the Tonister, he's the leader of Fine Gael, but I, I think it was very ill-advised to talk about no, no one group uh, having a veto. That's, that's the language of Gerry Adams uh, from years gone by. Go, go and look at the speech he made in 1994 when he got his first visa to New York. That was his theme. 
people cannot have uh, a veto, but the Belfast Good Friday Agreement says we remain part of the United Kingdom for as long as the majority of people in this jurisdiction want us to remain in the United Kingdom. And Michelle O'Neill said yesterday that now is exactly the time to talk about constitutional change and to plan for the future. And she's called for a Citizens' Assembly uh, to be called on the issue. Um, your reaction to her comments? And it's, not, it's not surprising, but unionism, I think, has a very strong case. What, what I think is, is, is unionism's weakness traditionally uh, is not engaging and outreaching, outreaching with that case. I don't think we're that good at walking into rooms filled with people who think differently from us on big-ticket issues like the constitutional status of Northern Ireland and putting our case saying, well, look, I'm a unionist. Here's what I think. And most importantly, here's why I think the way I think. OK, uh, Michael Nesbitt, MLA for Strangford and former leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. Uh, thank you for being with us on News Talk Breakfast this morning. <laughs>